is The Next Trip Podcast with aviation insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 112, operating on January 17th, 2022. This is Drew and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two avgeeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Doug, welcome back. It's Tuesday, so happy airline weekend to both of us. Which sunny beach resort were you paid to fly to this week, Doug? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I had to think about that. We're on kind of a weird recording schedule right now. I, I think I've only done one trip since we recorded last time. I know. I remember Lihui and I remember Cancun. We recorded before. We did. We recorded before I went to Cancun after Lihui. The Cancun. Yeah, I, I went to Cancun. That was that was the, <laughs> lo- the only trip that I did between the last recording. And I don't think I've told you where I'm going tomorrow. Have I? No, you haven't. Where Cancun. are you going? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know why we fought. I mean, you were getting most of the flights, so that's good. I don't know why we're not flying some wide bodies. I think some airlines are flying wide bodies into Cancun. Yeah, there was a Delta. Actually, I had a funny story about that. We were pushing back out of Cancun the other day, and we, mm-hmm. were, we were an hour delayed because of the inbound flight, and we only had an hour 10 to connect in Denver to our flight back yeah. to San Francisco, which meant uh, international flights are a lot more difficult to connect, even for the pilots, than mm-hmm. domestic flights, because we have to go through customs, and then we have to go back through normal security it's it's not Mm -hmm. like just walking off the jetway and running to the gate and so we're already delayed and the captain we we were parked down closer to the end of the runway than all these other flights but we we had heard them call for pushback all at the same time there are like five of us that call for pushback and Uh the captain the captain goes we're gonna get out before all of them safely mind you but we're (laughs) we're going to we're going to expedite this process because otherwise we're going to be even more delayed. We yeah. might miss our, our flight. They might reassign it to someone else. Long story okay. short, we're in the pushback. I look off to my right and there's a wide body that's pushing uh-huh. back. A, de- a it Delta? It was, yeah. And he's like, we are beating them out. <laughs> we are beating because, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> because if they taxied before us, not only do we, do we have to wait for them to take off, but because it's a wide body, we have to wait Wake. extra amount of time yeah mm-hmm. and so we're, we're taxing out and we're hearing all these people it's like popcorn everyone <laughs> it's is like calling, rush hour everyone's calling for push at the same time <laughs> we ended up getting delayed behind an aero mexico 737 max but we were in front of everyone else and we got out of there is it true that as far as wake turbulence of course you're concerned about it 67 in front of you right mm-hmm. but is it any airplane that's bigger than yours anyone that's bigger than yours yes so it could be a 757 yeah, it could be. And a, a CRJ taking off behind us, behind a 737, could get wake turbulence as well. It's not just yeah. a heavy, it, it's not just taking off behind a heavy. It's any airplane that's bigger than you. Yeah, there, that, this is a little bit of a tangent. You know, the heavies are wide bodies, so they're mm-hmm. twin eye on planes. I remember a discussion when the 757 and 67 came out, and there were complaints about 757 wake turbulence, mm-hmm. and they were considering calling, they were sitting considering designated the 757 as a heavy just because of the wake turbulence. I Which don't think they, that ever happened. They did. They did. They did. That's it, it was it was a heavy until just a couple of years ago when the okay. A3, when the A380 when they had that incident in the Gulf uh the Middle East Gulf a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. I think we we talked about it on a previous episode. I think so. I think I think it was a Challenger, uh, a business jet that flew Oh right. behind the wake 
total the airplane everyone yeah. walked walked home, walked away safely Amazing. but it was a re- really bad incident that's when they created the super call sign and what okay. that did is it bumped up the heavy designation from mm-hmm. 255,000 pounds to 300,000 mm-hmm. pounds which bumped the 75 out of the heavy category <laughs> so i wonder if the air traffic controllers mention that it's a 57 cuz it's not a heavy anymore but it probably should be noted if you're in a CRJ 200 behind it, follow the 757. And then you can be aware at least. Yeah. What, what most controllers end up doing is they'll, first of all, like if it's departure, they'll say caution, wake turbulence, you're clear for takeoff, basically Mm -hmm. saying they're playing ahead of you is bigger. So it doesn't really matter what kind it is. They're clearing you and they're saying caution, it's bigger. Mm -hmm. Lots of times as, as we're flying even across the country, air traffic control will call us and say, Hey, you probably on your, your TCAS, which is the instrument that we see all the other planes out there. They'll say traffic a thousand feet above. It's going to be crossing just in front of you. They'll usually say the type. Okay. They'll call us and they'll say there's a 767 that's going to be crossing a thousand feet in front of you or a 737. I, I don't think that just because it's a 757, they'll point it out because they point out every single aircraft type and say this traffic will be crossing in front of you. No, that's good. For a while there, I was like, stop, stop. This is podcast gold. We haven't done a wake turbulence segment yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll go around on that. On yeah. This, we'll, on we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Enough about me. How was, how was your hub cleanup after all of the fun over the last couple oh, of weeks? It was, um, it was easier than expected, but it started off with a lot of stress, a lot of anticipation because, um, you know, the last time we taped, it was the night before. It was the start of my work week. And we had just talked about my snowstorms from that week and during yeah. that episode. And then I remember I said, yeah, and you know, guess what? Tonight, we're going to get two to four inches of snow. And I'm the one who's working the cleanup crew, which is the morning shift. And it's going to snow overnight, two to four inches. So, of course, I didn't sleep very well. Yeah. And Robbie was down sleeping on the couch. And then he comes up. And it's probably like 2 a.m. And I, my alarm is, I'm supposed to leave at 6. But my alarm is set for 4 so he comes up at two and of course he says, Oh why man, it's it's bad out there and then I can't sleep. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it's bad out there to you or to anyone else, they're like, Oh, and then they go back to sleep, right? Yeah. Because it's like, Oh, I don't have to go to work it. today. Yeah. No, but yeah, this whole weight is on my shoulders because <laughs> this whole operation, if something goes wrong, it's on me. So I didn't sleep. I got up at two thirty, I'm like, I- I'm gonna power and I look outside and it is bad. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I should have stayed at the airport. I should have like, you know, parked my car in a garage or something. So I'm getting pumped up. I'm going to, I'm going to get dressed warm. I'm going to have my coffee now. And then leave for work. Yeah. Where several layers and dig this car. It's, it's, it's a lot. It looks bad. It looks like, you know, it looks like four inches of snow on the ground and on my car. So I'm like, am I even going to get out of this neighborhood? It was just fluffy very light snow. I kind of brushed it off and I didn't have to shovel it out to get out because it was so light. Mm-hmm. So I got out of there, got to work with no problems. The roads were great. And it had stopped at about 5 a.m. The first few departures that had snow on them got de-iced. And then our main bank at 1030 was fine because yeah. they were mostly turns. And we had about 10 that we did de-ice, but it was sunny and the snow wasn't falling. So de-ice times on a 737 were 15 minutes. Yeah, you sent me a picture mid-morning, I think it was, of a 767 with the sun. It yeah. was blue, bright blue sky. The sun was out. You could see the reflection. It, it looked like things were fine. You, you made yeah. a really good, really good point, though. You were talking about it looked like four inches of snow. 
drew four mm-hmm. inches of light fluffy snow is completely different than an it an inch of wet heavy snow which goes back to the discussion we've had multiple times about the type of precipitation it, yeah it doesn't matter necessarily about the amount it matters about the type an the inch type. of an inch of wet snow is a lot worse than four inches of fluffy snow yeah but then you know if you're living on the east coast and you have and you see the light fluffy snow don't be fooled because if it's been cold the whole week Guess what's under that fluffy yeah, snow? There's ice. It's a sheet of ice. It's a sheet of ice. So Alex, one of my coworkers that I, gives us a lot of our material, he was um, he was thinking like me, hey, this is no problem. He fell and he he was fine, but under that fluffy snow, he was moving away to get his car out was a sheet of ice. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful about that, Doug. This episode this episode airs on. Uh, January 17th, and that is Martin Luther King Day. For our international listeners, this is a day we celebrate that civil rights leader, his legacy, and his work towards uh, equality in America. Yeah, that's true. And sadly, another famous American, Sidney Poitier, passed away earlier this month. In 1964, he was the first Black person to win an Academy Award for Best Actor. One of his most famous movies was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which premiered in 1967 and had a positive portrayal of a mixed-race couple. Shocking, but in 1967, mixed-race marriage was still illegal in 17 states. Isn't that crazy? That's that's crazy. It's still I, illegal. And I didn't realize that. I was born in 1970, so that's not like ancient that's history. Not, yeah, I, I didn't realize <laughs> that. I, I, knew, I knew that there were a lot of race issues in the, in the 60s, but I didn't realize yeah. the illegality was still a thing. Yeah, this was in California, so it wasn't an issue in California, but still, the rest, most, a lot of the country was, it was still illegal. That's amazing, Doug. Thankfully, we've come a long way since then. I remember when I started at my current workplace 22 years ago, there were few minorities in management, and that was consistent within aviation in mm-hmm. all, in all levels of aviation, from pilots to uh, executives. Today, I'm the ops manager at my station, and our managing director, Doug, you met him briefly. I did meet him in there. April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's black. So there's, Definitely more diversity now in the airline industry. Yeah, we're we're making big progress. Where are you going with this, Drew? The the connection with this movie. When when you texted me and you said this is going to be one of the opening topics, you didn't yeah. explain and you just said, "Stay with me. Trust me on this." <laughs> on this. Yeah, you know, I I have I I didn't notice this as much when I've seen this movie. I know I've seen this movie before. It's been a while. I remember all the airplanes in it. So, so stay with me here, Doug. All right. Okay. There was, <laughs> I'm, I'm following. There, was a re- there was a recent article from Matthew Clint. He does a blog called Live and Let's Fly. He mentioned Poitier and United Airlines being prominently featured in several scenes of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It seems like this could be an early example of product placement in the movies. I don't know that, Doug. I don't know if United paid for that, but watching the movie it's so prominent you would think that they did it's it's but I like couldn't a, find any proof I, it's like american airlines in up in the air the george clooney film up in the air and um what's the one where the kids lost um uh, uh, home alone home alone oh yeah, yeah. and american home alone, yeah and home alone too yeah, to- yeah. totally american airlines placement <laughs> yeah it's got to be and and this is 1967 so you're seeing this united airlines planes constantly in this movie the starting scenes show a dc-8-20 landing at sfo from hawaii you flew a 737-800 from hawaii to sfo doug although we've come a long way in equality have we really come a long way in performance on the hawaii to sfo air route (laughs) (laughs) why are you laughing this is a serious question i'm I'm laughing because this is is, it a setup this is how you this is how you 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 brought it full circle (laughs) 
No, I'm I'm laughing because I think we've talked about in previous episodes, and I always thought this as a kid. If you go to Hawaii, you go on a wide body. Oh yeah. Before the seven the seven forty seven, there weren't wide oh. bodies. You went on a four engine jet. You went on a DC eight or a seven oh seven. Mm-hmm. Or or a constellation or a clipper. All all of those things pre seven forty seven. So until the early seventies, if you went to Hawaii, you're on a four engine narrow body, whether it was mm-hmm. a jet or a prop. From the seventies on, uh, it was mainly seven forty sevens, DC tens, L ten elevens, seven sixty sevens, even triple sevens, until E tops one eighty became a thing, which is where well, you're. When- when I was a kid, when you showed up at the airport on a flight to Honolulu from Sfo, and it was a DC-10, you're like, oh, I'm on a smaller plane because you were hoping for a 747. 747. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's it's crazy because growing up, I went to Hawaii a few times and we were on DC-10s mm-hmm. every time. There yep. was one time Standard. it was supposed to be a 747 and it, it changed to a DC-10. And like you said, there was there was that disappointment factor where it's like, oh, man, I'm on a DC-10. <laughs> but that became your plane. So it you... did. I, I can't be upset about that. But <laughs> let, let's compare the the 40 years apart, 1967 to now. Right, how far we've come or not. How far we haven't come between the DC-8 <laughs> and the 737. Uh, <laughs> you, you've got some comparisons here that I'm going to read and then we'll discuss. The DC-8's length was just over 150 feet. 737-800 is just shy of 140 feet. Really only about 12 feet difference in length. Cabin width the 737 is actually wider by three inches. I was that was kind of shocking to me. I'm very but surprised. If you, well, if you look at the DC8, the cabin images, mm-hmm. a lot of them had five across. Five across instead of yeah, and but some of them six. did have six across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the passenger count on the DC8 was about 170. 737, 800, 176. It's close. Close. The range. DC-8, 4,050 nautical miles, 737-800, 4,000 nautical miles. <laughs> Here's the difference, though. The normal cruise speed of a DC-8 is Mach decimal 8.2, and the normal cruise speed of a 737-800 is Mach decimal 7.8, which means you're stuck on a narrow body from Hawaii to San Francisco for longer right. in 2022 than you were on a DC-8 in 1967. And I you dr- can't smoke if you're I dr- a smoker. I dropped the mic. <laughs> you dropped the mic. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the noise of the mic falling uh, <laughs> makes here. it on. Mach 0. 0.78 on the 737. Is that is that what you flew? It depends. We we fly what's called cost index based on a lot of different factors. Based on how if if we're taking off late, if there are connections that that need mm. to be made. Sometimes we'll fly at Mach 7.5. Sometimes it's 8.0. It's anywhere in between. Whereas on okay. on the DC-10, it was like almost always Mach 82 because that, that was our right. most efficient. And in the Air Force, we didn't care as much about on-time performance necessarily mm-hmm. versus what, what it cost to, to fly a little bit faster. Because when you fly faster, you're burning a little bit more gas. It costs a little bit more. But when it comes to... Right, and you're not to, making connections. So. No, no. When it comes to passengers, sometimes it's worth that extra cost of the fuel to make mm-hmm. sure that you get the passengers there and make the connections. Okay, so what are the other differences? The cabin width is about the same. The range is about the same. You're not in first class. You definitely are not going to get someone roll a cart over with, and then with toss a salad on, you know, yeah, yeah and well, then carve a prime rib in front of you. Yeah, carve the, right. car- yeah. yeah, it's not like Fogo de, it's not like, it's not like Fogo de Chao. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
All right. Well, it, it's disappointing that we haven't improved on speed. We are talking about a 737 versus a DC-8. Mm-hmm. So you're, we're saying we haven't come that far. We've actually gone back a little bit. You could also be flying a 787, which flies at Mach 8, Mach 0.85, right? So that's mm-hmm. a little bit faster. Yeah. And it's a wide body versus a narrow body. It depends what kind of air, aircraft you're on. So mm-hmm. maybe we've come a little bit farther if you're flying a 787. It's disappointing we haven't really improved on speed. But we have really improved on affordability. A round trip ticket to Honolulu cost $199 in 1970. That's equivalent to $1,400 a day. That's a small fortune. Mm-hmm. You know, it, can you imagine a family going to Hawaii in the 70s? That would be a lot of money for them, you know? Yeah. But now people go to Hawaii all the time. I did a random search on kayak, price comes out as low as $317 round trip. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you could probably find lower. I know Southwest every once in a while has $49 one-way fares even to the islands. So yeah, yeah exactly. hypothetically for a family of four, you could get tickets for each person $100 round trip, which 1970, that's that's, that's impossible. Yeah. All right, Drew, let's jet back into this century <laughs> where we're seeing more progress into speeding up that flight time from Hawaii. We've talked a lot about the Boom Overture program, which continues to make progress on aircraft that would fly up to 88 passengers in Mach 1.7. Drew, this isn't a discussion necessarily about Boom. We don't want the listeners to to give up on us because all we talk about mm-hmm. is Boom. But what, what else right. is going on with supersonic transport? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just Boom. There's several programs working on supersonic aircraft. The Boom Overture is in development as you said, and may fly this decade, and it'll reduce travel time from Honolulu to SFO by more than half. Boom is leasing more office space in Denver, and reports say that they're continuing to negotiate with Greensboro Airport for manufacturing space. Doug, I got to say, I would like to continue from Honolulu across the mainland to the East Coast, but this isn't possible because the sonic boom and SST makes when flying over land. Thankfully, this may change so that we could have more routes that are that can be flown by a supersonic plane Mm -hmm. so this is from popular science this experimental nasa plane will try to break the sound barrier quietly so this is called the x-59 qsst which is a mashup of quiet supersonic technology it made the trip from california to a lockheed martin facility in fort worth texas to undergo what is known as a proof test Doug, this plane could make its first flight this year in the late summertime out of Lockheed Martin's Skunk Works facility back in Palmdale, California. In two years, NASA says that their test flight test pilots will fly it around and measure the noise it makes and how communities below react to it. Ideally, when that plane breaks the sound barrier, it will create a sound that the agency refers to as a thump versus a boom. That reduced noise signature may lead to a change in regulation to allow for supersonic flight over the U.S., a type of travel that's currently forbidden. Actually, since 1973, FAA made it illegal to fly supersonic over land. The X-59 has a very long nose, measuring about 38 feet in length. Just to give you an exa- example, it's a, it's at least a third of the airplane is the nose, maybe a half. Looking mm-hmm. at it, Doug, that nose will be essential in shaping shock waves during supersonic flight. The plane has also no front-facing flight deck window, this is replaced by computer computer monitors, which if I were a pilot, that would be unner- unnerving that I couldn't see an actual, if I couldn't see the actual runway in front of me. Yeah, it's it's fine for NASA to have that because they're doing the testing on it. I, I don't know if, if Boom or other supersonic transports, SSTs, will go to this computer-only visuals. I, I doubt it, but if they... 
a, a lot of what we have in our life, Drew, the the pleasures in life, the computers and phones and things like that, microwaves, that was all developed yeah. by NASA, by the space program, or amazing right? components of it. Just because NASA doesn't have windows doesn't mean that we can't figure out a way to lessen the boom and still have the windows. We'll, we'll see. Have you ever heard of Sonic Boom? I haven't. Have you? I have. We were in Orlando and it was the shuttle coming in. Huh. We didn't know what it was at the time. It was a, it was, it shook the hotel that we were in and the, the, the windows wow. rattled, the pictures rattled. And we, my mom and my, yeah, my parents and I looked around and we're like, what was that? And we found out later it was the shuttle on approach into Canaveral came right over Orlando and it was loud, Drew. It was, it was loud. Now the, the difference huh. between, be, between that and say the Concorde, when the Concorde is at altitude, or when boom is at altitude or, or this NASA plane is at altitude, they're not going to be breaking the sound barrier low to the ground. Like the shuttle did on arrival, which is part of the reason why it was so loud. So loud was, was because it Cape Canaveral is only about 50 miles to the east of Orlando. So the shuttle at that point was a lot lower than what the Concorde used to be when it finally went supersonic. Oh, okay, so it's probably not as bad. No, but that said, it was very loud. So if mm-hmm. NASA can find a way to get this more of a thump than that boom, because that that was a startling, it, it sounded like an explosion. Wow. Like a firework had gone off almost in the room that like, that's really? how, that's how heart stopping that moment was, which that's part of the reason why supersonic is out is banned across land masses because it disrupts da- daily life more so than just an airplane flying over. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know it was so dramatic. Yeah. We'll do multiple SST stories this year, Drew, but we have an important circle back or go around, as we're now calling our circle backs, <laughs> on a developing story, which is the t- telecommunications 5G expansion and the risks to aviation. It was right after we recorded last week, before we even aired the episode, the Federal Aviation Administration, or the FAA on Friday, disclosed a list of 50 airports that will have buffer zones when wireless carriers turn on the new 5G C-band service on January 19th. AT&T and Verizon Communications on Monday agreed to buffer zones around 50 airports to reduce the risk of disruption from potential interference to sensitive airplane instruments like altimeters, which we've talked about on previous episodes. If you haven't listened, go back and listen. You'll get more details on that. They've also agreed to delay deployment for two weeks, averting an aviation safety standoff. Some major airports, such as Denver, Atlanta, and Ronald Reagan Washington National, are not on the list because 5G is not yet being deployed in those areas, while others aren't on the list because, in quotes, 5G towers are not far, or excuse me, 5G towers are far enough away that a natural buffer exists. I believe San Francisco might be one of these. Okay. Yeah, it's not on. I don't know if it's on the list. We'll have to go back and. Oh See, no, no! Think... San Francisco is. Boston is not because it, it, if you, not. yeah, if you look at Boston, they're out on the water and they're okay. far enough away in all directions from five G towers. So there's like a natural, a natural buffer. Buffer is what they're yeah. saying. Yeah, Airlines for America, a trade group representing U.S. passenger and cargo carriers, said it appreciated the FAA's effort to implement mitigations for airports that may be most impacted by disruptions generated by the deployment of new 5G services. Drew, this comment from A4A sounds like we're reaching some sort of an agreement Mm -hmm. here, a a way to move forward with better telecommunications while also maintaining 
aircraft safety. I think early on we mentioned this. Why don't they just move the towers away from the airports? I mean, that's very simplistic of me to say, but it seems like a quick fix, right? Does it have mm-hmm. to be by the airport? Doug, you said, you know, go back and listen to our episodes, but what did you learn the last the most important thing I got from the research you did on the last one is this how the gigahertz, how the wave, how the frequencies kind of overlap. Mm-hmm. So this new band, the 5G band, the C band that the telecommunications companies will be using could go beyond 4 gigahertz and mm-hmm. aviation starts at 4. 4.2. So that's a concern. Yeah, and this could go all the way to to the low fours. I mm-hmm. think that's the concern. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I think this is a good start because um, it gives us some time, but it's only until the 19th is my understanding. Just a couple days after this taping. No, I, I think that this this expanded buffer at these 50 airports is for six months. Six the, months. Okay, the, yeah, so the, the, ni- the 19th is when the, the carriers are allowed to start rolling out this this new 5G network across the nation. But at these 50 airports, they have six months of extra buffer just mm-hmm. while, the, while the testing f- hopefully finishes up. Ho- hopefully six months from now, we have an answer from Airbus, Boeing, Garmin, whoever else NASA, whoever else is doing these tests that that right. we that we can prove that they can safely coexist. Right. Okay. So they're going to turn on the five G five G frequencies, right? And then we'll be able to see after the nineteenth if there's any effect. Mm-hmm. I wonder what's going to what's going to happen with that. Are they going to remove that block, that buffer zone from the fifty airports, or get it closer and closer? It'll be interesting. We'll we'll keep following the story. All right, Doug, I'm glad there's a plan to at least limit 5G interference with aviation, but I'm concerned about the lack of studies on this and that there's no confirmation that it won't cause issues. Doug, we need to change course back to our comfort zone. So what better than, you guessed it, wide body planes? (laughs) This is the second week in a row that we've gone back to our comfort zone after talking (laughs) about 5G. I don't know. This discussion might actually be pretty intense and, you know, it might be it might be kind of a heavy discussion. I think it is. And, and we we initially started to talk about it a little bit yesterday in our AvGeek chat that we're on. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of diverted my my comments and I said, I'll, I'll save it for the show. And you you and, and our buddies, I think we're trying to figure out what my thoughts were on this. And yeah, I feel like I did a good job of throwing up the block and not really oh yeah, sure. I have no idea. I think not- I mentioned what my thoughts were, but I have no idea what you're thinking. Yeah, the largest wide bodies, the A380 and the 747-8, are no longer in commercial production as travel slowly slowly returns to normal and then starts increasing over the next couple of years. The world is going to need some larger aircraft to maximize seats to cities with limited slots and gates, like Heathrow, Tokyo Haneda, JFK, and Newark in New York. Well, I guess Newark technically is not New York. We've talked about this, but in the <laughs> New York, in the New York metro area, this leaves right. the, this leaves the A350-1000, the 787-10, and the yet to be introduced Boeing 777X as our only players in this large aircraft group. I, I guess we would call it that. Drew, what what do we think the winner will be? For the purpose of this conversation, we just cho- chose the largest example of each of the big white bodies, right? Mm-hmm. We'll be looking at the 787-10, the A350-1000, and the Boeing 777-9X. Let's just talk about, I mean, and if anything else pops out to you, let me know, Doug. But looking at these three, the 787-10 has the least capacity at 323 passengers. The A350-1000 has 369. The 777-9 has a capacity for 426. Mm-hmm. The other important 
metric on here is the range. The 787-10 only has a range of just over 7,000 miles, which takes it out of, it's not going to be able to do Los Angeles to Sydney. That's an important route. Mm-hmm. It's not going to make it San Francisco to Singapore. So that's a shortfall of it. The A350-1000, 7,992 nautical miles. So a huge difference. The Boeing 777-9, sadly, the range of this new plane is only 7,290 nautical miles. Sydney, Australia is 6,500 nautical miles Mm -hmm. from Los Angeles. It could possibly do it, but it's getting kind of close. So if there's any headwinds or any um, weight restriction or a full cargo and passenger load, could this plane do it? Probably not. Is there anything that that pops out to you? No, it it was the range, the range and the number of passengers. Uh, I'm trying to think back to the the metric that we use for that, but basically to be able to carry more passengers a farther distance helps with your your cost per available sea mile, your your chasm, yep. and your revenue per mm-hmm. available sea mile. Then is is a piece of that. I think that we're trying to we talk about how great the seven eight seven is, and we had a, a debate several episodes ago about what the legacy of the seven eight was going to be. We're going to look back. History will look back on on the seven eight and look very favorably upon it. Yeah, but because there are different versions of it, the dash eight, the dash nine, dash ten, and even the A three fifty, there are several several versions. I think that history will look back on the A three fifty one thousand as the best high capacity long range airplane that was built. Okay. If you think about it this way, look back on the 747, the 747-300 the 747-200 with basically the same range, higher amount of seats, but it, it wasn't a very big seller around the world until the 747-400 came out and just pushed all of the other variants a- away and, aside, and yeah. it was aside such a success and to shame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The A340 has not been a very big seller. But the A330 has been a great seller for the same capacity, basically, as the A340 with two two less engines and pretty close mm-hmm. to the same range. Yep. Granted, they're not the, technically the same airplane because four engines, two engines, et cetera. But you can see where the same family has different legacies. And I, I feel like the 787-9, kind mm-hmm. of that, that, base, that base model, if we can call it that, is yeah. far and away going to be the most popular 787 vari- yeah, variant. It is right now. Version. And I, I think it'll continue being that way. I think the A350, unfortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, is is going to be that, that runaway winner from a very long haul, very high capacity standpoint of an airplane. So that's what I was thinking too. And I was thinking that's the one that's available. So that probably has the most orders, right? Because you, it's actually flying. Mm-hmm. It's cert- it's certificated and all that good stuff. So I went back and looked. Wait, so wait, wait, wait. Certificated? Yeah. Did, certificated. Do we just make up certified. another word? Cert- certified. Do we no, just I think make it, up another I think the word, word is certificated because it has a certificate. So it's certificated. Okay. <laughs> is that like, go back and look. Is that like pontificated? <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is the word. Well, okay. We'll, we'll come back on that. The A350-1000, right? Which you can buy now. Mm-hmm. You can order it now has 164 orders. Guess how many orders the 777X has? It's only like 240-something? 320. Oh, okay. About twice as many orders as the A350-1000. Interesting. Now, 
this is for both versions, the Dash 8 and the Dash 9. Mm-hmm. But even the Dash 8, Boeing uh, ha- the capacity Bo- competes with the 1000. Yeah, well, and, and Boeing hasn't even said whether they're actually going to go forward with the Dash 8 or not. You know, it just seems like you and I need to work in the Boeing strategy division, right? I have been talking about increasing the range on the 787-10 since the first time we flew it, mm-hmm. which is almost, which is about two years ago. So here we are two years later. Someone did. Now, this is news. It hasn't been widely reported, but the Boeing CEO com- CEO of the commercial division mm-hmm. just confirmed to the Seattle Times that they will be, that they are working on Exploring. a high gross weight, mm-hmm. a high gross weight 787-10. So that's going to be the 787-10ER or the LR, if mm-hmm. we're lucky, I, they really should look to make that uh, a game changer and make the range better than the A350-1000. Yeah. What do you think they'll do? Well, look, look at look at history. Look at the the 777-200. It came out as a 777-200, just the, the general mm-hmm. 200, which really could only do US to Europe. The, the range really right. is not that great. United, it had like 4,500 nautical mile, mile range, yeah, the you, A version. United only flew them east coast europe and and west coast to hawaii i think american had some that they flew to basically central and and south america or northern northern south america and then boeing went to the triple seven two hundred er the triple seven two hundred lr which was doing eight thousand miles something like that yeah and it it became a glowing success the the 200 Mm -hmm. er and 200 lr all they yeah. have to now, granted, they do give up some cargo capacity because they add additional fuel tanks in, in the belly, but you get mm-hmm. that extra range, which which then competes. Question that I have that's not on these lists that we are looking at is what is the cargo trade-off between the A350-1000 and mm-hmm. the 787-10? Just because we're looking at it from a seat standpoint, from a range right. standpoint, we also have to look at the revenue standpoint here. Yes, the 78-10 can't fly as far as the A350-1000 with as many people, but can it right. carry more cargo than the A350-1000? Drew, in the last two years, cargo has become this this hot topic around the world and, and on this podcast as well, that maybe that's a trade-off that airlines are looking at, saying if, if my 787-10 can carry more cargo than my A350-1000... Maybe I'm yeah. fine with not having as much range and instead using a 787-9 to do those ultra long haul routes. Well, yeah. So the existing 787-10 has a maximum takeoff weight of 557,000 pounds. The A350-1000, it's 679,000 pounds. So it's uh, so out of the starting gate, more. it's so far ahead. Mm-hmm. The high gross weight 787-10. And Doug, it's, it's going to have to have larger wings. Or a center fuel tank because the wings are the same as the seven eight seven nine. Looking at this, the the wingspan of the seven eight seven ten is one hundred ninety seven feet five inches. The wingspan of the A three fifty one thousand two hundred twelve feet five inches. It could expand, which could then possibly help it, and they'll still be able to use the same gates. Yeah, I will see what happens. Right now, the you know we keep talking about the triple seven nine not being a, a, a high seller, but in the meantime, three hundred twenty orders. I can't remember the exact date, but Singapore Airlines swapped 787-10 orders for 777-9 orders during the COVID. Mm-hmm. And I think they they got a lesser number of them. But again, they're going from the 10 to the 777-9. Why? Mm-hmm. Probably because they want 
higher capacity and more range. Yeah. The the important thing to mention is the 787-9 was a great plane during COVID because it's not that big. Mm-hmm. You can fly wherever you want it to go. But eventually we need that COVID capacity. is going to end mm-hmm. and we'll need capacity again. And I think Airbus is well positioned to take advantage of that initially. We don't see the 777-9. I mean, most reports are saying it won't be certificated or certified. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's certificated until... 2024. Mm-hmm. So Boeing's got to get moving on that. We This was a big debate. We talked about a lot. We talked about positives about each one of these. Drew, I, I don't think that you and I each gave an answer, though, which uh, if you had to pick one oh. in, in this group, which one do you think yeah. the, the ultimate winner 10, 15, 20 years from now? What, looking back, which one do you think the ultimate winner will be? Oh, 10, 15 years from now. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be the 777X. You think so? I think so? it's going to be the triple seven dash eight X. Okay, I think it's going to be the A three fifty one thousand. Honestly, okay. Uh, unless Boeing comes out with an ER or an LR for sure of the the seven eight seven dash ten. To me, I, the 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 triple seven X I think is just too heavy of an airplane, and I, I I just think that the order is where it stands. I unless something surprises me. I flew with a captain the other day who was a Boeing, a uh, former Boeing test pilot. And he was telling me that when he was there, he, he flew the 777 for Boeing. And uh-huh. he said that in, in internally, they called the 777 a 747 killer. And this was before the 747-400 right. was, was done being built. This was huh. before the 747-8 came out. Internally, they were, they were saying, we have created such an amazing airplane in the 300 ER that no one needs a 747-400 anymore. <laughs> I could see... Interesting. I could see an LR or an ER version of the 787-10 becoming a 777 killer, meaning that if they put that extra fuel tank in and they get that extra yeah. range, airlines aren't going to need the, the big, heavy, bulky 777-9 or even 777-8X anymore. That the, the seven but you're not going to have the capacity. So no, the yeah. 787-10 is only going to be 323 seats, no matter how what range, you know, the yeah. range can increase, but the passenger count isn't. Yeah. And, you know, we're moving into an age where China, India, all those people will need more capacity. The 777-X, 426 seats, the 777, that's the 9. Mm-hmm. The 8 will have a little bit more than the A350-1000. Mm-hmm. So as far as the A350... It's it wins with the range over the triple seven dash nine, so that gives an advantage. As far as passenger comfort, I would say the A three fifty one thousand at eighteen inches, but Boeing is saying the seats on the triple seven X will have eighteen inches, mm-hmm. will be eighteen inches too. Yeah, somehow they the redesigned the sidewalls. Going to be wide. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be four inches wider. I don't know how they do that, but well, I I, I hate to go with the nonchalant answer or a non-committal answer, but what did I send to the group? last night <laughs> you were talking about steak and lobster and i was like oh yeah surf. why not just order the surf and turf the airlines <laughs> both of both, them yeah both of them there, there are a lot of airlines around the world who have that's a good point seven eights and a three fifties because they find different route structure different missions for the yeah. different airplanes yeah i definitely i mean you are we already have singapore airlines that is uh on the hook for both Mm-hmm. Right. They have a three fifties and they have triple seven dash nines on order. Yeah. All right, Boeing. So get a move on it so we can do a better comparison with a plane that's actually flying in airline colors. Yeah. So I'd love to see a, a seven, eight dash 10 ER or LR. Let's see what the listeners thought. We, we posed a question. Hey, Avgeeks, next week's next, 
Next Trip Network main topic, now that the A380 and 747 are out of production, which large wide body will get most orders? Pick pick your fighter. The A350-1000, Drew, was the runaway winner from our listeners. 50% of the listeners chose the A350-1000, followed by very close between the 777-X and the 78-10. 26.7% said the 777-9X, and 23% said the 787-10. What did the listeners say? Our buddy Greg said, of the choices, I picked the 78 X, which is a 787-10. But when you look at the numbers, this 777-8 really could be the long-term winner. I think that's the dark horse, Doug. I, th- I say we watch that. And I think when that is launched, um, I expect an order from the U.S. majors. Okay. Just wait. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Richard then said, I think the 787-10 will get the most orders for now, beating the A350. However, the 777X really could take off when it finally takes off. And then he said, ha ha. <laughs> That's a good yeah. Steve Tao said, I'm thinking the 777X may never get off the ground. The 787-10 isn't big enough. And the A350-1000 is a great aircraft already flying, except for the Qatar birds because of some paint yeah, issue the, the, that they have. Yeah. And then he says, I'm going with the A350-1000. Um, this guy's very smart. <laughs> And I I really can't argue about anything he's saying in this. And then our buddy Charlie up in Seattle said, as much as it pains me to say, probably the A350-1000, <laughs> at least over the next five years. I hope the 777-9X eventually surpasses it. Drew, our, and that's a Seattle guy. Our, our listeners sound a lot like us, that we, we make good points and, and mm-hmm. downfalls for each of them. Coming back yeah. to the surf and turf, it, it may end up needing to be a mix of airplanes which isn't necessarily a bad thing because we're not in a monopoly anymore. Again, a duopoly isn't as great as this big open competition, but to, right. f- to find that it, I guess the way I liken it is I have a big family. I've got dogs, I've got kids, I've got lots of stuff to schlep around everywhere we go. Does mm-hmm. it make sense for our family to drive our, gas guzzling SUV to the grocery store or to school drop off and pick up. No, it doesn't. But we need that for when we, when we need to, to bring the whole family lots of suitcases. Mm -hmm. It makes sense for us to drive our fuel efficient, smaller car to and from the grocery store when we need to. So are you promoting an A350-1000 versus a 777-9? What I'm saying is as a family, we have different, Uh different cars a lot different airframes <laughs> for the different missions that we need to use them for. Okay. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to show how there is, well, there, there is no, there is not a one, one size fits all model anymore. No. I'm, and you know, it's good for these international airlines to have two, because if one is grounded, I mean, both of these are fairly new technology aircraft. If mm-hmm. one is grounded, you don't have to shut down your whole airline. Yeah. So I think it is very smart to have two. All right, this was a very intense discussion. Just to finish this off, so you're saying 10 years from now, A350-1000 is the winner as far as sales. Between all these, unless unless there is a 787-10 ER or LR. Well, there will be. They've already said. But we'll well, have to just, see because the they've already, just because they've already said doesn't mean that it's going to come to fruition. Come on. <laughs> all right, it's... <laughs> I don't think we've resolved anything. <laughs> this was 20 minutes of just bumbling around and we don't have <laughs> an answer. Really All right. Before we lose most of our listeners, 
All right, let's get to something that we can agree on, hopefully. <laughs> this is a heavy discussion, indeed. Get it heavy? Yeah, I get I it. That. Yeah, that, that, it's a good intro into the next topic. That's a good segue into something else that might be funnier and might not. How about we end with something light so our brains can spool down, Doug? We've all heard about dad or mom jokes, which are usually met with silence or polite haha. And let's face it, most are just bad jokes. <laughs> Aviation dad jokes are no better. And we've heard some real <laughs> cringers this week. <laughs> what did our listeners give us? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, some are cringeworthy and some are so bad that I hate to say it. They are funny just because they're so bad. <laughs> yeah. All right, this is from my friend Kevin. You know, talk about dad jokes. This is a granddad joke. I think <laughs> I heard Bob Hope say this, and people are just c- continuing to regurgitate it. So he said, I just flew in this morning, and boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> my kids would be embarrassed if I said that one. Yeah, don't say it. <laughs> and then Ken Aero Savvy said, What's the difference between a jet engine and a pilot? The engine stops whining at the gate. I think Ken, Ken's a 7 6 pilot. For a, a cargo okay. carrier, yeah. No, he he's okay. This this is a stale joke. Uh, sorry, Ken, if you're listening, <laughs> he's being self-deprecating because when I I have heard this joke before, it's been what's the difference between a flight attendant and a pilot? Mm-hmm. The flight attendant stops whining at the gate. Yeah, well, he flies for. <laughs> or that, sorry, the jet engine stops. Whining. He, he flies for a cargo carrier, so he doesn't have to worry about There's no flight attendants. Attendant. Right, yeah. it's just pilots whining. Our buddy Joey at Girardi Aviation on Twitter, he said. I have this awful disease where I can't stop telling airport jokes. I think it may be terminal. <laughs> I, I, when I saw that, I, I actually laughed. Yeah. Yeah. I legitimately laughed. That wasn't a fake laugh. And then our buddy Mike <laughs> said, I want to die in my sleep peacefully like my grandfather, not screaming in terror like passengers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. We have our own. <laughs> Which our listeners will tell us are dumber than the ones that we just read, but I think they're funny. I think they're good. Yeah. Why did the airplane get sent to his room? Oh, why? Bad attitude. <laughs> Bad altitude. No, it's attitude. Uh, people say altitude. Okay. No. So I've heard this joke, but it's it's altitude. People, but yeah, I, attitude. I, I, I think people. Attitude yeah, indicator. I, I think people say it wrong. Bad bad <laughs> attitude. Okay, so it worked because I laughed because I thought you messed it up. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm an airport. I come from the airport world, right? So I thought this was funny. So this guy comes up to the counter and he tells the agent, "I'd like to, I'd like to buy a round trip ticket." And the agent goes, "To where?" He's like, "Right back to here." <laughs> <The round-trip> t- <laughs> that's that's pretty funny. That's good, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's not a fake laugh. No. She, she, I guess she would need to ask. Okay, what's your intermediate stop? What's your round trip? T- yeah. I mean, people always say, hey, I want to buy a round trip ticket. They ask where to. I say, oh, I want to go to Singapore. But it's round trip. Technically, it's back to here. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. All right. A plane lands and shortly after the flight attendant comes over the loudspeaker. Hi, folks. Sorry about that rough landing. It wasn't the captain's fault. It definitely wasn't my fault. It was the asphalt. Doug, the first time I heard that was on Southwest and it was probably in the mid 90s. Where did you find that? They actually said... I I heard that several years ago, and I actually I had to look it up because I couldn't remember the actual verbiage from it. I want to say it might have been my aunt, who's a flight attendant for a major carrier, yeah. who told me it yeah. at a family get together many years ago. Mm-hmm. Doug, I remember this flight because the flight attendants were hilarious, and Southwest is known for that. 
And I listened to that joke. I think someone, even then, someone mentioned, uh, thanks for, you know, they said, thanks for flying Southwest. And one of the passengers next to me goes, yeah, and thanks for the stale jokes. And this was back then. <laughs> it was stale. I kind of laughed because I had never heard it. But then I laughed harder when the flight attendant went on to say, hey, and if you're connecting to another flight on Southwest, check the departure monitors for your connecting gate. If you're connecting to another airline, we don't care. <laughs> I laughed more. <laughs> Yeah, because they have no interline agreements. Yeah. All right, next one. So I'll tell you the joke, and I have a real-life one that you've already heard that we use to this date. This guy's on a regional airline. The flight attendant comes along, and the passenger goes, oh, what are my choices for dinner? And she goes, yes or no. (laughs) (laughs) And the real-life joke, or the real-life actual thing that happened, which I've probably said on this podcast. We've talked about it a couple times. We've talked about it. This happened in real life. This is back in the 19 mid 1990s and they were still serving meals and economy and the flight attendant comes along and she tells the passenger hey we have a choice of chicken and then the customer goes well that that's not a choice <laughs> and then there's a little bit of a standoff and it's getting a little concerning and i'm watching this play out because i love the cabin drama <laughs> and the flight attendant goes you can choose not to eat. <laughs> and then there's another pause. Like, oh, no, what's going to happen now? And the customer goes, I'll have the chicken. <laughs> my next one. And this was a real life. What happened to my family as well. And we we talked about it back during the summer. Mm-hmm. Here's the joke. I asked the flight attendant to change my seat because of a crying child next to me. It turns out you can't do that if the <laughs> child is yours. <laughs> I've heard that. Oh, my God. That- <laughs> and you've told... Didn't you tell them, hey, can you take her? Can you move? Marissa and I joked about it before I had heard this joke because they mentioned Uh if the child next or they said if the passenger, if passengers are not complying with the mask mandate, they'll be removed from the flight. And my youngest was having issues keeping her mask on. And my wife said, should I ring the call button and say that the passenger next to me isn't keeping her mask on? (laughs) And it was it was our youngest. I remember that. That's hilarious. This is not necessarily a joke with a punchline, but it's something we say at work that always makes everyone laugh, right? Because we work in a stressful environment and I'm going to apologize in advance to all you pilots out there because <laughs> you are a butt of a lot, all of our, a lot of our jokes, right? We'll have maintenance issues where uh, deferrals, where some, some system on the airplane is deferred mm-hmm. and it's not working for some reason, right? But it's still safe to fly. We'll have, uh, I'll hear, you know, in the background, one of my gate managers say, hey, we have a a crew refusal or crew precautionary on London because the auto throttle is deferred. Mm -hmm. And then someone in the office will say, Lindbergh didn't have an auto auto throttle. (laughs) (laughs) We'll laugh. Or they'll be like, uh, hey, Buenos Aires isn't, I don't know if we'll go to Buenos Aires because we have a crew refusal for the TCAS and op. And then I'll say, Earhart didn't have TCAS. (laughs) (laughs) It works for APU, any modern technology. We always raise Lindbergh and <laughs> Earhart. Then we have our quick laugh, and then we find a solution. Yeah. Well, and Ed, I'll, <laughs> I'll back that up, saying that if you don't have certain systems like Auto Throttle and TCAS, you can't fly above level 280, which means okay. you don't have the gas to make it. it it's an FAA requirement. If you don't have Auto Throttle? Auto, uh, auto, uh, automation, you can't fly in RVSM airspace or TCAS. Which means if you're gonna cross okay. if you're gonna cross the Atlantic at twenty seven thousand feet, you probably don't have the gas to make it the whole way. I, I understand the jokes and I laugh about it too, but that's it's not the pilot saying, Oh, I don't want to go with, without auto oh, right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, we know that they're refusing it for safety for, issues. Yeah. So then maintenance takes another look. Maintenance takes another look, and they can either resolve it or we look for another plane. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. We just deal with it. All right. I've got two more. What about you? Okay, I'm done. Okay. So it's all it's all yours. Santa is readying his sleigh on Christmas Eve, getting ready for his his big night. Gets all the packages in. He sees his man walk up to him, and he's kind of confused. It's the North Pole. There aren't other people up here normally and he goes excuse me can i help you and the man goes hello i'm your examiner for your faa examiner for this evening (laughs) and santa goes for what and he said oh this is your your, you're getting a a no notice evaluation and santa goes well Mm -hmm. why are you holding the shotgun and the man goes well i'm not supposed to tell you this ahead of time but you're going to lose an engine on takeoff (laughs) one of the deer oh my god that's <laughs> that's terrible yeah I, I i was the mc for our squatting christmas party a couple years ago and i told that one <laughs> and i also told this one this is probably one of my favorites what's the difference between god and a pilot <laughs> i know god doesn't think he's a pilot <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. all right you mentioned faa so i have to mention this and again i'm going to pre-apologize and say we love the faa thanks for keeping us safe <laughs> And I'm going to, you're done with yours, I'm right? Done, yeah, Cause that's, this is, that's it. You're not going to be this one. Okay. It's, the best. <laughs> it's just one line and it's, I'm with the FAA and I'm here to help. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I can tell you when an FAA inspector comes to my desk, he is not, he is not there to help me with my baggage yeah. numbers or my on-time performance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Doug, with that, to our listeners, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nextripnetwork.com, and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so that we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. That was a very lighthearted finish. People, please do not cancel us. We apologize. <laughs> we apologize if we offended anyone. I can tell you, I self-deprecated and offended myself. We it apologize is. ahead of time. <laughs> this is all meant in good fun. <laughs> we love everyone. We do love everyone. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. Hopefully, we'll see you next week. And in the meantime, <laughs> stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. I, we can't put this. We can't put this on the podcast. Okay, I, I need to think of a, a different in. way. Yeah, a, a different way to transition this. Put some um, of that in the unplugged or the um, the uh, the outtakes. <laughs>